This is the Bible in one year, day 10, facing the storms of life. On the 31st of July 2003, the adventurer Bear Grylls led a team of five across the North Atlantic Ocean in an inflatable rigid dinghy. They set out from Halifax, Nova Scotia, heading for John O'Groats, Scotland. On the 5th of August, a great storm arose. There were 20-foot waves. They lost satellite contact. They, and we, feared for their lives. Thankfully, they survived to tell the tale. Not all of us will have to face physical storms of this kind, but Jesus said that we would all face the storms of life. Life is not easy. These storms are many and varied. Abraham, David, and Jesus' disciples all face storms in their lives. What can we learn from their examples? From Psalm 7 My shield is God most high, who saves the upright in heart. God is a righteous judge, a God who displays his wrath every day. If he does not relent, he will sharpen his sword, he will bend and string his bow. He has prepared his deadly weapons, he makes ready his flaming arrows. Whoever is pregnant with evil conceives trouble and gives birth to disillusionment. Whoever digs a hole and scoops it out falls into the pit they have made. The trouble they cause recoils on them. Their violence comes down on their own heads. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. Take up the shield of faith. In the midst of the storms, David says, My shield is God Most High. I will give thanks to the Lord because of his righteousness and will sing praise to the name of the Lord Most High. If we fall for temptation and start to enjoy and nurture it, David warns, Whoever is pregnant with evil and conceives trouble gives birth to disillusionment. In another image, he likens it to digging a hole, scooping it out and then falling into the pit we've made. The Apostle Paul says that you are to take up a shield with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. The shield is the shield of faith. Or as David puts it here, his shield is God Most High. This is the best protection you could ever have against the attacks of the enemy. Lord, thank you that I too am able to say, my shield is God most high. New Testament from Matthew 8 and 9 Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him, saying, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. He replied, You of little faith, why are you so afraid? Then he got up and rebuked the winds and the waves, and it was completely calm. The men were amazed and asked, What kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. When he arrived at the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men coming from the tombs met him. They were so violent 
that no one could pass that way. What do you want with us, son of God? they shouted. Have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Some distance from them a large herd of pigs was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, If you drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Those tending the pigs ran off, went into the town and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. Matthew chapter 9 Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, and came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, Take heart, son, your sins are forgiven. At this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, This fellow is blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which is easier, to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Then the man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God, who had given such authority to man. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him, and Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but those who are ill. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Trust in Jesus, the Saviour. Sometimes the storms in our lives appear without warning. Jesus was in the boat with his disciples sleeping when, without warning, a furious storm came up on the lake so that the waves swept over the boat. Presumably the disciples were used to storms on the Sea of Galilee. It was renowned for sudden flash storms, stirring the water into 20-foot waves. However, this storm must have been a particularly serious one because the disciples woke Jesus up and said, We're going to drown! During the storms of life, it's natural to panic. Certainly, I tend to. Sometimes it appears that Jesus is sleeping. He does not appear to be doing anything about our problems. Thankfully, we can all cry out as they did, Lord, save us! The natural response to the storms is doubt and fear. Jesus tells them that the response to the storms should be trust, O you of little faith and that we should not be afraid. Why are you so afraid? Jesus is quite capable of calming the storm. 
and that is exactly what he did. Even in the midst of a storm, such as a global pandemic or the cost of living crisis. Having shown his authority over the elements, even the winds and the waves obey him. He goes on to demonstrate his authority over evil powers by freeing the two demon-possessed men. Jesus was far more concerned about people than possessions, unlike those who pleaded with him to leave their region. Jesus goes on to make the point that forgiveness is more important than healing. But healing is not unimportant. Jesus does both. He shows his power over sickness and disability by healing a paralyzed man. The crowd was awestruck, amazed and pleased that God had authorized Jesus to work among them this way. In the midst of the storms, there are moments of calm. Today's passage ends with such a moment as Jesus calls Matthew to follow him. Jesus is invited to dinner at Matthew's house. The Pharisees are surprised to see Jesus eating with a lot of disreputable characters and say, what kind of example is this from your teacher, acting cosy with crooks and riffraff? Jesus overhearing shot back, who needs a doctor, the healthy or the sick? Go figure out what the scripture means. I'm after mercy, not religion. I'm here to invite outsiders, not coddle insiders. God's mercy is his kindness and forgiveness towards people who do not deserve it. Today, receive and enjoy his mercy yourself and be merciful to others. Lord, thank you that in all the storms of life I can cry out, Lord, save me. Help me to trust you and not to be afraid. Old Testament, from Genesis 21 to 23. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter, and everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. The child grew and was weaned. And on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham held a great feast. But Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had borne to Abraham was mocking. And she said to Abraham, Get rid of that slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and your slave woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is your offspring. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. When the water in the skin was gone, 
she put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bowshot away, for she thought, I cannot watch the boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. God heard the boy crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Paran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here before God that you will not deal falsely with me or my children or my descendants. Show to me and the country where you now reside as a foreigner the same kindness I have shown to you. Abraham said, I swear it. Then Abraham complained to Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized. But Abimelech said, I don't know who has done this. You did not tell me, and I heard about it only today. So Abraham brought sheep and cattle and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a treaty. Abraham set apart seven ewe lambs from the flock. And Abimelech asked Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs you have set apart by themselves? He replied, Accept these seven lambs from my hand as a witness that I dug this well. So that place was called Beersheba, because the two men swore an oath there. After the treaty had been made at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his forces, returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the Eternal God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines for a long time. Genesis chapter 22 Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain I will show you. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. 
As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father? Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham! Abraham! Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up, and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, The Lord Will Provide, and to this day it is said, On the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies, and through your offspring all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Some time later, Abraham was told, Milcah is also a mother. She has borne sons to your brother Nahor. Uz the firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel the father of Aram, Kesed, Hezo, Pildash, Ziplaf, and Bethuel. Bethuel became the father of Rebekah. Milcah bore these eight sons to Abraham's brother Nahor. His concubine, whose name was Rumah, also had sons, Teba, Geham, Tehash, and Meachah. Genesis chapter 23 Sarah lived to be a hundred and twenty-seven years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, and Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am a foreigner and stranger among you. Sell me some property for a burial site, here, so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choicest of our tombs. 
none of us will refuse you his tomb for burying your dead. Then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. He said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Magpelah, which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among his people, and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if you will. I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me, so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth four hundred shekels of silver. But what is that between you and me? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, four hundred shekels of silver, according to the weight current among the merchants. So Ephron's field in Machpelah, near Mamre, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field, was legally made over to Abraham as his property, in the presence of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of the city. Afterwards, Abraham buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. So the field and the cave in it were legally made over to Abraham by the Hittites as a burial site. Thank God for his provision. Abraham certainly faced storms in his life. The passage for today is full of struggles, but it starts with a wonderful moment of calm in the midst of these storms. The Lord was gracious to Sarah and did for Sarah what he'd promised. Like us, sometimes they had to wait a long time. But eventually, God's promise was fulfilled. During the waiting period, the challenge is to keep on trusting God. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. It was a moment of great joy. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter and everyone who hears about this, will laugh with me. But very soon, Abraham faced a storm in his own household. Ishmael mocked Isaac, and this led to deeper divisions in the family. Tragically, Hagar and Ishmael left. These divisions were ultimately the consequences of Abraham's previous sin in making Hagar his mistress, following his lack of faith in believing that Sarah would have a son. Sometimes the hardest situations in life to face can be those of our own making. Even so, God is still with Abraham and he watches over and blesses Hagar and Ishmael. We see God's grace at work in the midst of a sinful situation. Abraham was about to face the biggest storm of his life. God tested Abraham. Sometimes God allows us to be tested. Personally, I don't think God ever intended for a moment that Abraham should actually sacrifice his son Isaac The sacrifice of children was always an abomination to the Lord. But he wanted to establish Abraham's priorities. 
the New Testament reminds us that this test came after God's promises to Abraham about Isaac and was therefore a test of both Abraham's faith and his priorities. The test was of his faith because it challenged him to trust that God would fulfill his promises about Isaac, even if Abraham was willing to sacrifice him. Abraham had to trust that no matter what happened, Isaac would be restored to him. Yet it was also a test of Abraham's priorities. Your relationship with God is meant to be the number one priority of your life, above all other loves. The vision God has given you for your life and even above your closest human relationships. Abraham was willing to obey God whatever the cost. His great strength was that he loved God more than anything or anyone else. Thankfully, God provided the sacrifice that was necessary. God himself will provide the lamb. This foreshadows the great sacrifice God was to make on our behalf. As you think about how Abraham must have felt at the thought of sacrificing his son, you get a glimpse of what it cost God to give his one and only son for you and me. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. If God provided the ultimate sacrifice to meet your greatest need, will he not also provide for all your other needs? Here Abraham calls God Jehovah Jireh, or the Lord will provide. He's acknowledging that God providing is part of his character. God is the great provider. So often I have found this to be true in my own life and in our community. God is true to his promise. As the Apostle Paul put it, my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Our task is to obey God, to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And he promises that if we do that, he will provide for all our needs. All these things will be given to you as well. God's provision and blessing is almost unbelievably great. It includes this, And in your seed, Christ, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Lord, thank you that you are my shield, my saviour, and my provider. Help me to keep trusting in you and to not be afraid. Help me to keep you as the number one priority in my life. Pepper adds, In Matthew 8.23, this passage reminds me of the importance of trusting Jesus. Even when things don't look great, Jesus has power to sort out even the most difficult situations. And I've got quite a few of those going on right now. Have you?